Some of you already are, but if not, imagine with me that you are a landowner. You own a farmland, or maybe you own rental property, and you decide that it's time to receive your monthly payment or quarterly payment or whatever it may be, and you happen to have some managers working for you, and so you send one of them to the tenants of the place where uh, they are uh, using and renting from you, And your manager comes back and he is beaten up and he is bloody and his hands are empty and the rental payment is not there. Maybe they mistook who this was. So you send another manager and that manager also, he calls you from the hospital and says he's in the hospital because the people that are renting from you have beaten him to almost the point of death. And you send another one and the same thing. And the tenants have decided they are living on your land, they are farming your property, and they are not going to pay you, and they are not going to leave. For you, you might wonder, what would I do? How would I respond? And I would say, hold that thought for a moment, even if that angers you of like, I would get rid of those people. Just hold on a minute and let's see what Jesus has to say as he has a parable. And that storyline is the parable that we see. And as we look to it in Luke chapter 20, the big idea is this. God's patience, love, righteousness, and justice bring much comfort to sinners who have, who have experienced the grace of God. Look at verse 9. As we read, remember that Jesus is a few days away from going to the cross. He is in the temple. The religious leaders are coming to him. He is teaching the people, and they are trying to find a way to trap him in his words so that they can get rid of him. And as we saw last week, they challenged his authority, and now it follows with this parable. Verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to the tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they persecuted, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. The Word of God. Father, again, we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us this morning to look at the characters who are described in this parable that Jesus lays out for us. 
You have a landowner. Uh, there is also a vineyard. There are some tenants. There are some messengers or servants. And then there is the son. And as we look at each of these, my prayer this morning is that you would see the attributes of God, that you would understand greater his characteristics and that you would understand his great love and his mercy and that we would learn from the word. And so let us look at the first person in the story or the parable. It is the landowner. Now, let me ask you this. We know from the Gospel, Luke, the parables that we've seen, Jesus will use a parable and he will explain them sometimes. And sometimes he doesn't explain them. But in the parables, there are people or things that represent um, other, other things for us to understand in life. So I'll ask you this. The landowner is who in this parable? God, the father, right? So God, the father is the landowner. Just like in Montana, I found out this week, we have hundreds of thousands of acres in which there is crop share agreements. In Palestine, when Jesus was walking the earth, there were also crop share agreements that there were vineyards or other farmland that were planted by an owner and they would rent it out like a vineyard to some tenants, to some renters who would care for the vineyard. They would water the vineyard. They would uh, uh, cultivate the land that they would work with the vineyard so that it would produce fruit. At the time of harvest, the owner would send one of his servants to go collect either a percentage of the fruit that was harvested or a percentage of the money that was made from selling of the harvest. And I would tell you this, when you look at this parable, pay close attention to how the landowner is described. Pay, pay close attention to what the landowner does and what the landowner says because we can understand much about God's attributes and his character. I would point out to you and remind you that we just read that the landowner three times he sends messengers to go and collect his fruit and three times they are rejected and they are beaten and they were cast out. I've been praying the last month that we would grow in our understanding of God and who he is. And I would ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34, we have an interaction between God Almighty and Moses. And God has already given them the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, the tablet was broken. And he gives them a new set. And in Exodus chapter 34, look at verses 6 through 7, in which God himself describes who he is. I'll start in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. <clears throat> and Moses bowed in worship. But if you look at that description, it's a wonderful description that you must pay attention to. This is what God says about himself and who he is. He is merciful. He is gracious. And he's slow to anger. What is a word that comes to your mind that starts with the word letter P? P. 
patience. We should praise God for his patience. God is patience, patient, and he shows his patience through his mercy upon you, his graciousness or his kindness to you. And Moses saw that personally. He saw that up front with how God dealt with his people, the nation of Israel. God called them a stiff-necked, stubborn people, and God had steadfast love for them and patience with his people. But did you see what he told Moses? God's patience does not mean that he he passes over in a sense or does nothing in regards to sin or breaking of his law. It says that God will not clear the guilty because he's just. And therefore, if he's a just God, then he must punish lawbreakers of his law. Now think for a minute. Has anyone in this room ever broken God's law? Have you done it many times? Would you say you've broken God's law for days and months and years and years and years? I know some would argue and say, well, I'm not that bad. But the truth is we have broken God's law over a long period of time. And I would ask you this. Has God been patient with you? I know he's been patient with me. And it's a wonderful thing to know that God is patient when we break his law. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter writes, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And I would tell you this, that many people take that verse and they would... Describe it and, and interpret it wrongly. God has promised his son, Jesus, said, I will return. And so Peter's writing about the day of the Lord, the return of Christ. And in it, we learn about God's patience in that he's patiently waiting for all of his people that he calls to himself to come to salvation. And it says, not wishing that any would perish. Or as I was reminded last week, someone said, well, God doesn't you know, uh, have any joy in the death of the wicked. Those things are true. But we must understand that people use that wrongly to say, well, that means that somehow at some point everyone will be saved. No, completely contradictory to Scripture. There will be people who are saved and there will be people who are lost in destruction and the wrath of God for eternity. The reason I read that text to you is this. It says, but God is patient towards you. If you look back at that text in Exodus, God's patience is found in his steadfast love and his faithfulness that he declared to Moses. And it's important to see that because when we understand his steadfast love and his faithfulness, we can understand why God's covenant with his people is a wonderful thing. Because God keeps his covenants with his people. He keeps what he says, his word, he always fulfills, even when his people break the covenant and break the laws of God. 
for Christians and for followers of Christ. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. And in Galatians chapter 5, it tells us in verses 22 and verses 23 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Many of those fruits of the Spirit, we just read that God declared of Himself in Exodus. And for the believer, if you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. So therefore, you are to love God and love others. You are to be patient with others. Have you ever lost your patience before? I don't know how many times I lost my patience this week. This morning, as I was driving here about 10 minutes till 7, I'm like, there's no traffic around. And someone's riding my tail like it's Los Angeles traffic that I lived in for 20 years. And I'm like, I'm following the speed limit. There's no one around. At the next light, you get to pass me. And this person waving their hands and all anger and all this stuff. I was like, wow, this person's not very patient today. <laughs> I'm thankful that God's work of salvation doesn't rest on any of us and our love or our faithfulness or our patience because we fail in every one of those. God is perfect. <clears throat> and so that's a picture of the landowner, the, 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 the one who owns the vineyard. It's God the Father. Let's look at the second part of the story. The vineyard is described. Who is the vineyard? Some of you don't want to answer this one. You're like, I'm not sure. What's the, who's the vineyard? I can't hear you. Any guesses? Okay. We got us, God's people, all this. We're, I want you uh, to turn to Isaiah chapter 5. The word of God specifically says, here is who the vineyard is. It says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of who? Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting, and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Now, if you read Psalm chapter 80 or read Isaiah 5, 1 through 8, the vineyard is described as the nation of Israel. And in Isaiah's account, it talks about their unfaithfulness to the landowner who is God. And Psalm chapter 80 describes how God brings out this vine out of Egypt. The nation of Israel was in captivity to Egypt. Remember that? And God sent Moses and through his powerful, God's powerful works, he brings them out of slavery to Egypt. And then he plants them, as Psalm 80 says, in the promised land. God is the landowner or the owner of the vineyard and he has made it his own and he's planted it and the vineyard, the word of God tells us, is Israel. Now you need to go and read God's interactions and, and the account of his covenant that he made with Abraham. He called Abraham out to be a person, a people for himself. He promised Abraham a great name. He promised Abraham a great people more than the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. And he promised Abraham a land. And God was faithful to fulfill every single one of those. And he said that Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations, pointing to one day a son, Jesus Christ. 
When the landowner brought the vineyard out of Egypt, God bringing the nation of Egypt out of slavery, he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And in the first three commandments that you read that God gives the people, he says, worship me alone and do not worship any idols. And idols, we have descriptions throughout the word of God, false gods, demons. And what does the nation of Israel do? They worship who? They worship God for a while and they worship who? Idols. To the point where they sacrifice their children to idols. The nation of Israel was constantly going astray from the covenant that God made with them, that he would give them their laws, that they would are to obey the laws, and they constantly broke them, and they constantly were reminded, you are worshiping idols, turn from them and worship God. Israel were stiff-necked and stubborn and constantly, repeatedly hardened their hearts. And I would say to you, do not harden your hearts to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15 says, As it is today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Are you this morning hardening your hearts to the word of God? Do you have any hardness in your heart where you are rejecting the truth of God's word? Israel repeatedly turned away from the worship of God and worshiped idols. I would say to you the same thing that the nation of Israel were repeatedly reminded. Repent of your sins. Turn from worshiping other idols. In Acts chapter 3, we have two texts in which the call of the people is this in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Confess them to him that your sins would be wiped out, blotted out, taken away. The nation of Israel, in the midst of the hardness of their heart, in the midst of the sin of their idol worship, they also rejected the servants of God. They rejected the message of God. They rejected the messengers of God. And those messengers are God's prophets. Do you hear and listen to the word of God preached? Do you hear and listen to the word of God read? Do you hear and listen to the teaching of the word of God? And do you refuse to follow and be obedient In Acts chapter 3 that I just read in verse 23, it says, It shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet, and it's speaking of Jesus Christ, shall be destroyed from the people. The sobering reality for the vineyard, the nation of Israel, is they continue to, to worship idols. And so God cast them out of the land. He exiled them and he poured out his wrath on the people. His judgment was poured out upon his people because they refused to worship him. They hardened their hearts and they rejected the messages that the prophets were given to them from God. And I pray that all of us who are just like Israel who are just like that vineyard, that we would repent of our sins and turn from our rejection of the word of God. So we have the landowner, the one who owns the vineyard, who planted it. We have the vineyard, the people of God that were called to follow his commands. And I want us to look at the next two together, the tenants and the messengers. 
And so you have the tenants who specifically here, Jesus, we see, addresses the religious rulers of Israel. But you could say the tenants, those who keep the vineyard. And the messengers are specifically the servants or God's prophets. So look back at the text here in Luke 20. And look at in verses 10 through 12, the parable here. It says, when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. So you have tenants and you have servants or messengers. The tenants are the leaders of Israel, the ones who are to care for the vineyard, the one who the ones who are to uh, water the vineyard, the ones who are to fertilize the vineyard, the ones who are to um, take care of all that is needed so that the fruit would be produced. And the servants, the messengers are those who God has sent his prophets giving a message to the tenants to repent and turn from your wicked ways. What does it say? How do the tenants treat the messengers of God? What does it say there in verses 10 to 12? What did they do? They beat them up, right? Did they give them a percentage of the fruit or the money that was given to the owner? No. They sent them away empty-handed. I believe the gospel of Mark says the, uh, that they even killed one of the servants. That's before pointing to the son who is sent. Zechariah, an Old Testament prophet, says in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, do not be like your fathers. You see, the prophets were constantly telling them, do not continue in the way that your fathers lived. Make a change, turn, repent. It says, to whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways, from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Did you hear the words there? They did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Last year we were in... Luke chapter 11, and Jesus addresses the religious leaders and their fathers, how they constantly rejected the prophets of God. Jeremiah was thrown into a pit and left for dead. Elijah ran for his life. And Zechariah, who I just read that passage in Zechariah 1-4, he was murdered by the people of God, the tenants of the vineyard. Well, just as the tenants... We read of the, how they treated those messengers. We need to pay attention to the messengers are the prophets of God. The servants of God are the prophets that he sent. The servants, as in the parable, they leave the vineyard empty handed. No fruit to give the owner. No profit for sale of the fruit for the land owner. And it represents the failure of Israel to heed the prophet's teaching and to turn from idol worship and to turn from their wicked ways and to worship God. God sent numerous prophets repeatedly over and over and over and over again from generation to generation within the nation of Israel. And not one of them have any excuse to say, we never heard. They hardened their heart to the prophets of God who brought the message of God 
and rejected God. Many people do not spend time reading the prophets in the Old Testament because they do not like reading about the wrath of God. Many people do not want to read about the judgment of God. He makes it very clear to the nation of Israel. If you continue in your ways, I will pour out my judgment and my wrath upon you. And we do not in this world today, in a right political sense, want to say that Jesus is a wrathful God. We want to just say he's a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a faithful God. He's a patient God. Those are true. We like those descriptions, right? Yes? But is it hard to swallow at times that God is a judging God, a God of wrath? If you're honest, you have to say yes. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 and verse 16. It says, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had... Here's the key word, compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. When you read of the history of the nation of Israel, they were exiled to different kingdoms and God poured out his wrath, his judgment, his punishment upon them. But he repeatedly sent the messengers because of his compassion for his people and for his dwelling place. I've been reflecting on our church. I've been reflecting on the churches in our nation and the churches in our world. And the United States of America has been blessed For years upon years, to have faithful men who preach the gospel, who preach the word of God. And I wonder what our world, our nation, has done with it. If you look at the nation of Europe today, the continent of Europe, if you look at the churches that were there at one time, who lay empty today, I believe it's because they rejected the messengers bringing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of you might say, we have numerous churches in the United States of America. And I pray constantly and regularly that God, as long as he holds off before he returns, that he would bring a revival among the churches in America and that they would bring and uphold the authoritative word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that years from now we would not have empty places where once people of God met. We are in a very serious state in this nation on this day at this time. Will God's people uphold the word of God, declare the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or we will continue to be self-help proclaiming people, health, wealth, prosperity, churches that all we do is involve our people in consumerism so that we can please people. Or will God's people 
stand on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and declare Jesus Christ crucified, risen again, and he is the only way that anyone can be saved. It should be something that not only we amen, but we pray for, that God would work, and that we would not be people who sit sit here week in and week out, hearing the word of God preached, and to do nothing about it. I ask myself every week, I just got up and I preached, and what does this have to do with me? I always feel that I'm preaching to myself. What am I doing with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Am I sitting on my hands all week long, or am I out if I truly believe that the world needs the gospel, declaring the truths so that people would hear? I was blown away in the year 2000 when I was in seminary and I had a class and the majority of the class were all students from South Korea. And as I began to get to know them, I I realized that they were there training because they were going to be missionaries. And I asked them, we were all out for lunch one day, and I said, where are you going from South Korea? Where are you going to go and be missionaries to? And they said, here. And I chuckled. I said, what do you mean? We're, we're, We're coming as missionaries from South Korea. Korea to the United States of America because the church is failing and the United States is a godless country and here 21 years later they heard the call of God and I pray that more Christians from around the world would come to this country and declare the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that every one of you in this room who fear God and are saved by the name of Jesus Christ would do the same We come to the last character in the story, the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And it says in verse 13, the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved Son. Perhaps they will respect him. The owner has one son, and he's like, they won't hurt my son. And as I read this, I think in my mind, what father in their right mind would dare send their only son to tenants like this? And I thought of myself, would I send one of my five children to tenants like this? No way. I would not. When you read the parable, sometimes you may, like me, get angry. Man, I'd do something about those tenants. But we see the steadfast love of the Father by sending the prophets and the last of the prophets who is his beloved son, Jesus. If you remember the beginning of the gospel, according to Luke, that we read of Jesus' baptism. And when Jesus came out of the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved what? Son, in whom I'm well pleased on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John got to hear the voice of God again. And he says, listen to my beloved son. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> Most of us, if not all of us, if we, have, if we had children, would not give up our children to die for anyone. We would probably hope that we would to save someone. But the truth is, we would, we would not. And in verse 14 and 15 of the text, it says, But when the tenants saw him, 
They said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus prophesies and he charges the religious leaders with his murder before verse 19 even happens. But do you see something here? They recognize the son of the landowner. Just like in Genesis 37, Joseph, the one with the coat of many colors, is going out to his brothers and they see him from afar and they say, let us kill him. The religious leaders, they see the son of God and they say, let us kill him. In John chapter three, one of the religious leaders, a Pharisee, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at night and says, we know that you've been sent by God because you can't teach or do these things unless you've been sent by God. They acknowledge, he acknowledges that the religious leaders know this is the heir of the vineyard. And he has come in all authority to receive the vineyard for his father. And they're jealous of him. And they conspired to kill him. And just as they turned Jesus over to the Romans and he was taken outside of the city where he was hung on a cross and killed, Jesus prophesied that they would do that by saying this is what the wicked tenants do. And here we have a complete picture of all of mankind. And that all of mankind has no idea how depraved, how wicked, how corrupted in sin that we are and that we are born into this world just like those wicked tenants. We want the vineyard for ourselves. We want a vineyard of life without God. We want a kingdom for ourselves. We love idol worship so much. There's nothing in our hearts that wants us to turn from our idols and worship God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us have a part in killing the son Jesus Christ. Verse 15 says, What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Verse 16, He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. The landowner takes out his vengeance on the tenants. Here Jesus points to the religious leaders. But the tenants, the wicked tenants are all who are born to this world as enemies of God. And most people like this part of the story, the justice of the landowner. We want the bad guys punished and we want the good guys to be win, right? Don't you like that in this world when you see the bad people getting justice? I mean, you're like, no, I would never, you'd never admit that maybe. But yes, I'm like, yeah, they need justice. I like it when the good guys win. I mean, watch tons of movies. They always, the good guy wins and you're excited about it. That's why it's a good movie. But for some, the judgment of the tenants is very surprising. The landowner would destroy them. And the reason why, when it comes down to the reality of that reason, is we do not want righteous judgment for ourselves. Right? We want judgment for everyone else but us, right? And so when we're faced with the judgment of God, the eternal destruction, hell, for our sin and rejection of Christ, we don't want that. And so we say with the people in verse 16, after they hear this, they say, surely not. 
No, that would not happen. The vineyard, it wouldn't be given to anyone else. If the owner is just and righteous, then who is just and righteous? God is. He's completely just. He's completely righteous. If you want to say completely holy, therefore, those who have broken his laws and sinned, which is everyone, must face judgment. They must face punishment, which is eternal death. In verse 17, but he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. When it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And when you read those two verses, you go, wow, that is bad. It's Jesus is directly quote, quoting Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. But it's actually a wonderful verse, when you, two verses here when you read this. Israel was looking for the stone, the Messiah, and Jesus says, I am that stone. I am the Messiah. And God gave them all the evidence. He sent all the prophets and who prophesied not only repent and turn, but here are the signs and everything you need to know about the Messiah. And they had all the evidence. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies. And yet the tenants, the religious leaders, the people rejected all of the evidence and declared Jesus not the Messiah, and he was hung on a cross. Jesus did not fit their own description of the stone of the Messiah. They were looking for a political leader and not one who would forgive them of their sins. Therefore, he says, a stumbling stone to all who reject him. But at the same time, a glorious, wonderful cornerstone for all who turn to him in faith. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 verses 10 through 12. Peter and John, this is after Jesus ascended to heaven. They're before these religious leaders who conspired and killed Jesus. And he says this in verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there was no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ. God's son, Jesus Christ, perfect life, died on a cross, becoming sin, bearing your sin, receiving the wrath of God the Father that was meant for you. And he died there and shed his blood so that you could be forgiven. And he rose on the third day from death to life. And for all who believe in the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, you stand on solid ground and you are saved from your sins. You're set free from slavery to sin and to death and you're given eternal life and you're adopted into the kingdom of God, made a child of his own and says there's an inheritance for you in heaven. Jesus Christ, eternity, no more sin, glorified body, wonderful joy forever. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone 
the solid ground for all who would believe in him as Lord and Savior. And therefore, we go back to the big idea that we began with. God's patience, love, righteousness, and justice bring much comfort to sinners who have experienced the grace of God. As the worship team comes forward, I'd ask you these questions. When you read this story in your life, what is represented? How do you relate to the wicked tenants in the story? In what ways do you or have you rejected the authority of Jesus Christ in your life? In what ways have you neglected, rejected, and hardened your hearts to the messengers who have brought you the good news of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ? Will you live your life as a wicked tenant and face eternal destruction? Is the Holy Spirit stirring your heart today, convicting you of your wickedness and calling you to believe in Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ died to save you from your wicked heart. He died to save you from your sins. 1 Peter 2.6 says this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, are you rejecting the message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you take it for yourself and rest in that and just sit on your hands and do nothing with it? Or are you who are commanded and commissioned to be a proclaimer of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? In one sense, a prophet of the good news of, of Jesus. Are you being obedient and declaring that? This morning, as I was reading out of a book of prayers, Puritan prayers called the Valley of Vision, in God's providence, I came to this prayer, which I want to pray for us this morning and close with, and then we will sing and praise our Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus Christ, fill me with thy spirit, that I may be occupied with his presence. I am blind. Send him to make me see. Dark, let him say, let there be light. May he give me faith to behold my name engraven in thy hand my soul and body redeemed by the blood, my sinfulness covered by the life of pure obedience, replenish me by his revealing grace that I may realize my indissoluble union with thee, that I may know that thou hast espoused me to thyself forever in righteousness, love, mercy, faithfulness, that I am one with thee as a branch with its stock, as a building with its foundation, May his comforts cheer me in my sorrows. His strength sustain me in my trials. His blessings revive me in my weariness. His presence render me a fruitful tree of holiness. His might establish me in peace and joy. His incitements make me ceaseless in prayer. His animation kindle in me undying devotion. Send him as the searcher of my heart to show me more of my corruptions and helplessness that I may flee to thee, cling to thee, rest on thee as the beginning and the end of my salvation. May I never vex him by my indifference, by my waywardness, grieve him by my cold welcome, resist him by my hard rebellion. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for thy great name's sake. Jesus Christ. Amen.